Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined, as always, by Colby Powell. You know, Colby, when we were doing this podcast just a few weeks ago, we were, you know, so knee-deep in the CFP rankings, the the national perspective. OSU doesn't get no respect. And here we are today. Oh, we're taping this on uh, Monday night. Sorry again for the technological issues I had on uh, Sunday. Colby, you had the issues at first, and now I had them. So hopefully that's it for the season. But Colby, isn't it remarkable where we sit today versus where we were just a few weeks ago? Uh, it's not the same football team we're covering. I know that much. It's not the team 10 days ago that we thought was going to make the Big 12 championship game and have a good chance uh, to win it. And, you know, we were excited for the first CFP rankings to see just how the committee kind of evaluates Oklahoma State and that loss against TCU and how, how they pair those two programs side by side. Much different conversation conversation to be had this evening, Carson, about what looks like a very different football team. I know you don't have your quarterback. Uh, a bunch of other guys are injured, so it very literally is a different football team. Uh, but, yeah, things have taken a turn. Yeah, we have a lot to get into with why that's taken a turn. Uh, Mike Gundy also had his press conference today on Monday. Uh, had a, a fun viewing experience with the, with the Powell family. We'll get into that as well. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. So, Colby, uh, again, thanks to thanks to your mom and dad for for having me over. Got the Absolutely. full Powell experience. We had the, the kiddos there. It, w- it was a great time. We were all settled in with some good food to eat, a great setup, and then uh, we proceeded to watch what I felt like I was watching 2005 Oklahoma State, certainly the 2007's defense. They also they had Des Bryant on that offense. Definitely didn't look like 2007 as a whole, but Colby, it it was like you and I were watching this together, and it was borderline comical at times just how inept OSU was, sim- like seemingly in every phase, just from the get-go. Uh, Yeah, no, it just – right off the jump, you could tell that Oklahoma State, especially defensively, it just wasn't there. And you've got Rangel coming out, and his credit arm looked pretty good and stuff, but he was young. He was raw. He was making mistakes. I mean, boom. You start the game, interception, just like that. After you've driven down the field – Pretty nicely, um, man, I just – it seemed early as if it was going to be more of the same from Oklahoma State, and and it just felt like a snowball effect that started in that first quarter against Kansas State. And I almost compare it, Carson, to um, – and we tend to do this because we play golf. I almost compare it to a round of golf where it's like you've made two, three bogeys in a row and you just can't get off the train for whatever reason. One thing or another, you just – can't get it going back the right direction you're just kind of stuck that's what it feels like right now with Oklahoma State football it feels like they're just stuck stuck in this realm where everyone is injured stuck uh with this idea that that you 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 just can't change up what you're doing offensively you can't get more creative um defensively you've got guys moving around playing positions they're not supposed to be in Jabbar Muhammad is playing nickel safety he's also playing corner you know he's playing pretty much every snap all game uh you've got guys on the interior defensive line who are struggling to get a push up front the pass rush isn't there it just feels like Carson as a team on both sides of the ball they are just stuck right now 
That's a good way to put it. I, I have some stronger takes about what I saw on, on Saturday, <laughs> but as I pulled up to the Powell residence, you know, we were getting word that uh, uh, Rangel was going to get the start over Gunnar Gundy. That had kind of trickled out uh, through social media. But as your mom was getting, again, a tremendous spread. Thanks again to Kim. Great spread. I got my snacking in right before pregame. It was great stuff. But as she's setting stuff out, Colby, she she, she tells me that you guys heard on the radio from Robert Allen, the sideline reporter who attends practice, who has known Mike Gundy for years and years and years. In his reporting on Rangel getting the nod for the starter, I didn't hear it. Will you, will you just rephrase it for me and then I can react? How did, exactly did he put this in terms of the decision for Rangel to get uh, the nod as a starter? Yeah, I will. And, and, I do want to say that this is a slight paraphrasing because I was driving at the time. I was driving, listening on the radio, so it's not like I could get out my phone and make a note of it. But essentially what Robert said is, guys, Garrett Rangel will be taking the first snap today for Oklahoma State. Uh, They're going to run the true freshman out there. And then said something to the effect of uh, seemingly in part because of all the talk surrounding the quarterback situation. And Carson, I don't think that there's any way to interpret that other than the nepotism conversation that we had on this show that everybody else was having because we didn't know what to expect leading into this game. And and I put it out on Twitter, how much pressure it was for those guys. We talked about it. The amount of pressure on Mike Gundy to get the quarterback selection right this past Saturday. And if it had been Gunner, which we thought it was going to be because, I mean, he won the backup job in the offseason. He was the backup job going into last week. Now, they they said that Rangel just ever so slightly outperformed him a week ago. Gundy compared it today to uh, Spencer Sanders and Drew Brown a few years ago. He compared it to J.W. Walsh and Clint Chelf back in the day where two guys are so evenly graded at practice that one just does one minor little thing that stands out, something of, of that nature. But it, it sounded, uh, listening to the pregame, as if, it, it might have factored in the, the fact that his son was one of the backups. I, Carson, it is a weird situation with no precedence that I can remember in my lifetime. Uh, I'm too young to remember the, the Bob Simmons, Nathan Simmons era. I, I don't really have a reference point for this. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know if they were that close and you've got the four star. I don't know that he necessarily made the wrong decision, but I don't know that there is a right decision when your son is the backup and is competing with a four-star for those snaps. I don't know what you do there, but it sounded like that was part of it. Yeah, there. I have so many ways to discuss this. Would you like – here, I'll start with this. I, I do want to give Robert Allen a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because he's in a tough spot. He's known Mike – for a long, 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 long time. I think he knew, I think he covered Mike when Mike was in high school. That's how far they go back. He doesn't want to come on the radio and say, well, Rangel's just flat out better and they really have a much better chance to win with him based on what I've seen in practice. That would also disclose information he's allowed to watch that Mike wouldn't want out there. I think to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt, maybe he just put this out there as just something he could come up with to to give it justification without disclosing too much intel that he gets from being able to watch practice. But just just assuming what he said is 1,000% true, he's reporting the facts. As I told your mom, Kim, as she was getting that marvelous spread together, this is why you do not have your son on the team. If you were worried about the talk out there, 
you never should have allowed him to join the team, especially him being a quarterback. It was hard enough on on Nathan Simmons being the running back and getting the nod over uh, Jamal Fobbs, who we all knew was better. It's far different when it's quarterback, and it's quarterback of an Oklahoma State team that is one of the best teams in the country year in, year out, and your son had very little interest amongst colleges to play quarterback. And the fact that he was the – so it's it's one way or the other, Colby, isn't it? Either he's your backup quarterback because he won the job, which we were all told, we all believed. I thought he looked decent in some mop-up time. And in the moment of truth, on the road, in an absolute must-win situation, he doesn't trust his own depth chart. Now, I think some devil's advocates out there would be like, well – Spencer might be out for the rest of the year, and they they view Rangel as the future far more than the guy who was ready week week one, two, three, four, five, or whatever you want to phrase it. But to me, Colby, this goes right up near the top of another example of Mike not knowing what he's doing with quarterbacks. It reminds me a little bit about the Chelf situation, which you brought up, where he played, what, two series to start the year, opening game of the season against Mississippi State, and then he benches him the rest of the way for J.W. Walsh who then eventually gets benched for Chelf, who was one of the better quarterbacks in school history, had done nothing wrong to lose the job in the first place. It's it's baffling to me, Colby. I know there's a lot of ways to examine it, but just on the surface, don't you agree? If, if Gunnar Gundy's the backup quarterback, why in the world are you switching the depth chart based on two practices, basically, is what it would probably amount to? I, I, explain that to me. Yeah, no, it's it's a fragile, delicate situation. It sounds like they went into practice last week kind of with an open competition at quarterback as to who was going to start against Kansas. And and maybe it is a different evaluation process when you're just thinking, all right, if we need a guy to come in in the fourth quarter for mop-up duty, who's the backup? Probably the more veteran guy. Then maybe you get to late October, early November, and you think, okay, maybe the young guys come along. Maybe we need to have another competition and see who wins the job. I, I do want to be clear. I wasn't trying to throw any kind of shade at Robert. Robert's doing his job, and Robert does a great job covering Oklahoma State, and Robert had to say something something in that moment because everyone's asking for the answer and there is no clear right answer. Uh, so I certainly wasn't trying to throw any shade at Robert. He does a great job and, and provides all that information uh, pre and post game down there with the team. Um, but yeah, Carson, it, it sounds to me like it was an open competition last week. And uh, again, it's just a delicate, unique situation. And it, it sounds like they opened it up. I don't know. I, I want to give the benefit of the doubt, right? I, I think normally, uh, it's just the way I'm, I'm wired. I'm inclined to give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they just figured the young guy ha- had come along more by the third month of the season than he had in August. So if, if you're asking me for just some answer, some reasoning as to how you change your quarterback depth chart in week nine, that's what I would tell you. Maybe th- that's just me speculating. Maybe they figured the young guy had it figured out with another two months uh, under his belt in practice. I, but again, we're guessing because because we're not there. And, you know, Gundy's not going to talk, did not talk, I don't think was asked today about any nepotism type stuff or anything with Gunner. And I don't even know, Carson, if it's fair for me to continue using the word nepotism. If he's the better player, he should play. It, it just, yeah, it struck you, me, I'm sure the entire fan base as odd that until you needed a backup quarterback, Gunner was the backup. As soon as you needed a backup, Rangel was that guy. It's an odd situation. It's so odd because, yes, last week 
Gunnar Gundy replaced an injured Spencer Sanders, which, by the way, was in the game up 41 or down 41 nothing. C- complete one of the worst moves of Mike Gundy's career, leaving Spencer in that game, a guy who's been banged up for three, four straight weeks, leaving him in that game might cost you everything this season. It might it might cost you everything. They might lose out because of that insane decision to keep Spencer Sanders in the game. But back to what you're saying, I will I find it hard to believe that Rangel came along from that Kansas State game so much that it deserved the warranting of a start on the road at Kansas based on that week's of practice. I don't buy anything Mike's selling in terms of we graded reps. Mike and, and I get why Mike is saying the things he is. I'm not just here ripping Mike for everything he's doing top to bottom. That's not what I'm doing. I get why he says the things he says in order to protect his guys. I get it. Perhaps, and this is my theory, Sanders out for the year. And I think as as much as Gunner knew the offense better than Rangel to start the year, that's probably why he was the backup. As much as that's true, he knows that <laughs> – Rangel has far more talent, is the future of the program in terms of going into next year. Who knows what the kid Flores will do from from Nebraska coming in. He knows that Gunner's not the best guy long-term in terms of playing the best young up-and-coming player. So that's how I come up with it. That's my justification. But again, Colby, (laughs) this is right up there with some of the weirder decisions, and Mike has a laundry list of weird quarterback decisions. For a guy who played quarterback himself, you would think he knows his position better than any of them. And it seems to me it's the one he knows the least about in terms of picking the right one. It, it really does. That's interesting because Mike Gundy has, over his career, been faced with these quarterback decisions quite often. And it feels like it's oftentimes not the first guy who ends up being the guy for Oklahoma State whenever Mike Gundy has one of these decisions. And then you add in the wrinkle, it's his son. It's I don't know how he deals with this. I From the moment that they decided Gunner was going to be an Oklahoma State Cowboy and wanted to play for his dad, the whole scenario makes me very uncomfortable because Mike Gundy, as a father, I, I mean, do you want to be there for your kid? you want to be successful? And the idea of coaching his son at that level and having him be successful and run the team, I'm sure, was very appealing. But the downside to it all is, yeah, people are going to talk and – you better be heads and tails the best guy if you're the coach's son. And maybe that's what it came down to. Maybe Mike figured in order for me to run Gunner out there, he has to be heads and tails the best guy. Otherwise, he is going to get crushed. And that would be no fault of his if he gets crushed just for being the coach's son. So maybe he just decided, look, I, I can't do that to him. He's not heads and tails the better guy. Rangel gives us a better chance to win. I I don't know, Carson. Again, I want to give the benefit of the doubt, but it's another weird quarterback uh, decision that's been made at Oklahoma State. And, you know, Gundy talked today about, you know, not having Spencer and how much of a difference that makes and all this stuff. I I mean, there's a good chance that Spencer isn't back next year. Uh, I don't know. I want to make sure I heard you right. Were you predicting that Spencer doesn't play the rest of the season? I'm not predicting that. I'm just okay. saying that that would lead me to understand the decision to start Rangel over Gunnar Gundy far more. And I think that would be, that would make far that to me is really the only thing that makes sense because I'm sorry. I don't care if you graded two practices, three practices max. That's not going to determine who runs out there first at quarterback in a must win situation to keep your Big 12 title hopes alive. Like they've watched plenty of practice to know who the best player is. And I think the fact that going into next year, 
the future is important too. So that that's the only reason I said that is that's Spencer being out for the year. Okay, now I get it. And that that's why Rangel gets the nod. Or else you name Gunner the backup. The moment of truth came and you got scared about nepotism talk. We shouldn't have put him on the team if you were scared of that. And he earned the job and you didn't give it to him. Like to me, that's not right either. So it, that is just crazy to me. I cannot believe that was what's reported by Robert. I, I I'm with you. I'm not ripping him at all. Again, I, I set up from the jump. I think he's in a tough spot there trying to tell people what's going on without giving away too much and getting his access taken. But that to me is insane. Colby. I just, I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, no, I, again, I think that we've kind of talked this thing in a circle and we just, we don't know. We, we don't know what we know. Well, and here, and here's mean, the thing. Mike wouldn't on his Monday press conference, he wouldn't say one way or another, whether Spencer's going to play at this point, Colby, I think we just, we assume he's going to be out until further notice. Uh, it certainly seems that way. And, you know, I mentioned, and I've been kind of arguing with folks on, on Twitter, like he ain't, I, there's, I don't think there's any way he's coming back. Like, and everyone, all the optimistic fans. And I certainly, I certainly appreciate their optimism. They, they always want to look at, well, he could help his draft projection. If he comes back for his sixth year, he has unfinished business guys. Your, your body doesn't feel like his body feels right now. He's going, how many, how many players come back for a sixth year that, that want to play in the NFL. Very, very, very few. The ones that do likely have no future. And before you sit there and go, well, Sanders ain't getting drafted. I've seen way worse quarterbacks get drafted and get drafted pretty high. Kellen Mond couldn't hold Spencer Sanders' jock, and he got drafted in the fourth round. So players just don't think like fans do. So before you sit there and go, well, he, he can have this if he comes back. Well, he could also blow his knee out next year for his sixth year and, and really be done and really have no future. And that's before we get into having no uh, losing one more year of earning power. So I think Colby, I'm assuming he's done. I'm not reporting that. I don't know that. I'm assuming he's done, and I'm assuming that's why they went with Rangel. Now that we've talked it out. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that I'm there yet with Spencer. I just maybe these injuries are, are bad enough to keep him out the rest of the season. Well, we know about Spencer. Everything he said, everything that he's done since he got to Oklahoma State. He loves playing football, and he's tough as hell. And, man, <laughs> there's a game in Norman, Carson, in 12 days. And I know, play, I know he wants to play in the NFL. I know he's got big aspirations, and I know every time that he takes that field, he's putting his body on the line. For Oklahoma State, for, for the fan base, for you, for me, it, it's just it's a lot to ask with, with him hurting and uh, his future very much hanging in the balance. I cannot imagine that that guy who has done and said all the things that he's done and said since he got to Oklahoma State, Carson, I think that that game means something to him. I don't think that he is done. I think that uh, if you're really putting my feet to the fire and asking me what I think happened, I think Mike got cold feet on starting his son. That That's just – that's my guess. I, oh, I obviously – I haven't talked to – I mean, I because I don't think Spencer's out the rest of the year. I don't. I don't. I think I think the more likely explanation is that Mike got cold feet. And uh, again, sometimes um, we, we have to speculate on things in, in order to, to to provide some sort of analysis as to what took place in, in the games. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, Carson. I don't know what else, what else to tell you. Oh, man, if that's true. And, and you may be right. We, we, we probably won't ever know. But whew, 
that is that's up there with some of the all-time uh, quarterback decisions from Mike. Let, let's get back to the game. I think we talked that out. The listeners probably like, can you get back to the game and maybe what's going on? Right. Uh, Kansas. What? Speaking of Rangel, what did you think of his performance? You know, there was some chatter out there after the game that he played amazing and that the defense let him down. I, I want to say this from the jump. I thought he played well at times. Certainly showed, you know, his inexperience. The, the first interception is a throw you cannot make. But at the same time, Colby, Spencer Sanders been making those throws as, as little as last year or as late as last year. Uh, so I can certainly understand some of the mistakes he made. The, the fumble under the center just was by far his worst. But I did see Colby some flashes of things I really liked. He's more mobile. You and I were watching it together. We kept commenting on how much more mobile he is than we really realized. He made some plays. Throwing into the wind, we didn't know how much wind there was. It looked like a few punts to start. But, man, Colby, I thought he really settled in and, and played about as well as you could possibly expect a true freshman on the road in the Big 12. I, I, I really liked what I saw, even if he did make some some really big really big errors. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that if I were grading him on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, it's probably a 5. It's probably a 5 because he did do some good things. Uh, I like the way the ball comes out of his hand. He's got good arm strength. The ball pops out of his hand. Um, good, good tight spiral. Throws a good ball. Uh, athletic. He, he was able to run around a little bit, not just shifty in the pocket, but uh, a couple actual designed runs and some stuff on scrambles where he was able to get to the edge. So, like the athleticism, like the arm, but I can't grade him any higher than that when he turned the ball over four times. You, you know, I mean, the first, the first drive – might have taken points off the board. I don't know. You just e- even if the defender's not there to intercept it, you're throwing it in the turf at your guy's feet. How is in the turf at your guy's feet with a chance to be intercepted better intercepted better than the fifth row? I, I mean, true freshman or not, that's that's one of the easy ones. That's one of the easy ones. Throw that thing in the crowd. Um, you know, that sets up what a probably fourth and six there. I don't know if they were quite within Tanner Brown's uh range because they were going into the wind in the first quarter, but maybe you go for it on fourth and six and get it. Don't have that opportunity. You don't come away with points there. The second interception, I mean, just airmails it up the sideline. It, it looked like the Kansas guy was running the route. Now, Carson, I want to get to the fumbled snap because we're watching the game together on Saturday, and they come out of that huddle, and they end up under center on fourth and one. Carson, do you remember what I said when they broke the huddle and he went under center? Oh, man, you called it. You are like, they're asking this kid his – First ever snap under center at the college level is coming in this absolutely critical, massive, gargantuan spot. You called it before it even happened. I think it was the play of the game. I think it was the play of the game. Oklahoma State needed to do something to get that game within a within one score at halftime. And instead, you go into the locker room down 24 to 7, and Carson... I'm not blaming that one on Garrett Rangel. Not putting, I, I know you've got to be able to take the snap. People are going to say, oh, are you going to blame the coaches because a kid can't take a snap from under center? Kind of, yeah. I mean, the kid's never been under center in his college career. And in that moment, in that moment on fourth and one, you put him down there, and it's not Captain Hindsight, Carson, because fortunately, it's the, <laughs> one, it's the one game this season that you and I watched together, so you were there to verify. As soon as I saw him under center, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to make him take a snap under center on fourth down. And sure enough, it went bad. So I don't even blame him on that one. The last interception, you're trying to make something play, force one in, it, it gets tipped out. But I saw some good things and some potential, uh, but I also saw – four turnovers, so I, I'm going to grade him out as a five, which is kind of just like, hey, okay, decent, not great. Let's just see where it goes from here. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think some people listening to this might think you're being hard on him, and I, I kind of go both ways on it. I, th- I thought he showed some flashes, but let, let's be real here. Like freshmen play at quarterback a lot this day and age. This isn't like some impossible venture, and it's not. And he's playing probably the worst defense in the league. I mean, this is the ideal spot to play in your first Big Twelve game, and the way he called that was, was so on the money. Like it, it made me even more nervous for him once you said it. And I, I think I said out loud either before or after, like you think Gunnar Gundy's hands were shaking last week. What are his doing right now? And sure enough, the, <laughs> the fumble happened, but, but no, I think that's a very fair assessment. Some, some might argue that that green ran the wrong route on that, that deep ball that floated and got picked, but who, who cares? I, I thought he showed some flashes. I thought he played pretty well. And did about as well as you could ask for, minus you know some of the turnovers. But I don't know. I I liked what I saw, and I think when he got beat out by Gunner, I kind of wrote him off and saying, "Well, that that kid's going to transfer. He's not going to sit behind the coach's kid his whole career." And and maybe that was part of it too, Colby. Maybe in today's age with transfer portal, you know, Gunner's not going anywhere. Uh, maybe you start him and throw him to the wolves instead of your son and, and keep him out of the transfer portal. But I, I liked what I saw and there's some stuff to really work with there because let's face it, Colby, he also got indoctrinated with the life that Spencer Sanders has lived for four years, very little run game, very little help from his receivers, drops galore, running wrong routes. Uh, he got, he got indoctrinated pretty hard too. It's a, I think that's a fair grade. He, he did deal with a lot. Uh, yes, he did. It was a tough spot to come in, especially like you said, Carson, if you want to win a Big 12 championship, it's a must-win game. So, I mean, you're stepping on the field first time. All right, dude, go in against a much-improved Kansas team. I mean, they're they're not bad. They're not great, but they're not bad. Jason Bean is a backup. I mean, to have that guy as a backup is a huge luxury. You saw his speed when he was out in the open field, step-for-step uh, step with Jabbar Muhammad. Muhammad was obviously chasing from behind on that play. Uh, and just there was poor tackling on that play. Uh, Colin Oliver missed him at about the Kansas 45-yard line. Could have stopped him behind midfield. It ends up going to the house. And that was right as... Carson, Oklahoma State had finally scored a touchdown, gotten the lid off. 83 game minutes, they went without a touchdown. As soon as they get one, two plays later, they let Jason Bean house it for 74 yards. It's just, again, it just, it all felt stuck. And the offense felt that way too, specifically the running game. That's another thing that makes it harder on Rangel. You can't run the ball. So the defense knows pass is coming. He's under pressure. It was a lot for him to deal with as a true freshman. Carson, I I think that we... I understand the injuries uh, to the offensive line, but it's not like you've lost all five guys. And it, it's just, it's come to a head with this running game where there just is nothing there. And Carson, as I watch Jalen Warren thrive in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers, he is by every possible metric better than Najee Harris this year. Najee hadn't been very good, but still, if you would have told me prior to the season, Jalen Warren would be far outperforming uh, Najee Harris as we go into November, I would have been surprised. Carson, I think Jalen Warren is a great back who we may be even underrated despite the seller season that he had last year. I think he covered up some seriously def- some serious deficiencies with what is one of the most vanilla run games I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I think there's very much a Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott situation brewing in Pittsburgh. You got the high-paid big name player who is literally, as you mentioned, all the advanced analytics tell you Jalen Warren's been significantly, significantly better than, than Najee Harris. And 
I think that does. I mean, you just go back to last year, Cole, the Big 12 title game, like they, they really struggled to move the football without without Jalen Warren. So he did mask a lot of the deficiencies on the offensive line. And I, I will say, though, I thought Don Richardson ran pretty well to start the game. And then the turnovers, you know, Mike kind of cited the turnovers, getting behind, you know, 24-7, like you mentioned, kind of altered their game plan. But but let's face it, Colby, like <laughs> – Jalen Warren ain't walking through that door. It just it's it's not happening. Like let, let me just read you the point totals from OSU last year with, with Jalen Warren in tow. Uh against Notre he played against Notre Dame, right? Was he healthy for that? Uh yes. Yes, I believe so. Because I'm 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 remembering that it was a storyline that Kyron Williams wasn't going to play, uh, but Jalen Warren was. Uh let's see here. Yes, he did run for 82 yards in that game. Uh they scored 37 that game with Jalen Warren against a really good uh, Notre Dame team. Uh, scored 37 against Oklahoma, 23 against Tech, 63 against TCU, uh, 24 at West Virginia, 55 against Kansas. Uh, they lost to Iowa State, 32 against Texas, 24 against Baylor, 31 against K-State, uh, and 21 against Boise when he became the, the guy. Until they get this fixed, Colby, and look, we're going to get to the defense. I'm sure people listening are like, uh, did you guys watch the defense? Yes, we did. We're getting to that next. But I know Dom had some moments there early, uh, but I'm telling you what, if they lose out or just continue the way they are running the football, it's it's this is why Mike gets paid the big bucks. You're going to have to make some tough decisions with offensive coordinator and offensive line. Uh, Charlie Dickey was a big get at the time from K-State. K State's humming without them. They're they're still they're still blocking pretty well up in Manhattan, and so yeah, I think receipt. Look, receivers played terrible. It was a bad offensive performance as a whole, but it starts and ends, Colby, with the running game and and lack thereof. Yeah, I mean that's where it's at for Oklahoma State. The offensive line, the running game, just has to be better. And like you said, it's it's Mike Gundy's job to fix it, and it's Mike Gundy's job to decide whether the guys running the offense are the guys. To fix it, Mike Gundy said today in his press conference that, uh, you know, he talked about holding the players accountable and, uh, you know, defense looking tired and all this stuff. But then he also talked about holding the, the coaches accountable. And, and he mentioned himself and he said that yesterday, whenever they came out of their meetings, uh, the, the coaches on staff were not big Gundy fans. And they shouldn't have been, man. I mean, they, they should have um, heard some things yesterday whenever they got together to watch that film. Carson, it's just, it's pathetic what's happened to this run game. It, it is so, so, so vanilla it, it is so predictable uh, we I, I made a joke it, it was, there was a third and two I think it was in the middle of the second quarter there was a third and two Oklahoma State had it like their own 40 and I kind of joked after the second down play I said oh maybe they'll go inside inside zone here on third down try to trick them and what did they do on third and two Carson <laughs> they just ran right into the teeth of the rock chalk <laughs> mighty front and got and lost a yard and punted it away on fourth down. It's like it, it's not a joke. It's just it's the predictability. All I I get it. True freshmen's out there, but aren't we calling the game to win the game? And it's not even that, Carson. It's just you know I watch a lot of football. You watch a lot of football. It's depressing to me watching these other teams all over the country do this fun, creative stuff. Have defenses guessing, hard to cover, getting guys out into space. And Oklahoma State is running goes, quick screens, and inside zone. And and it's just 
I mean, we I'm watching Coastal Carolina on Twitter has this fun little triple option they're doing. I'm watching Notre Dame do some things on Saturday night to get guys in space against Clemson on, on the big upset. Uh, you know, Aranda down at Baylor gets guy gets a guy into space on a fourth down. There's a third down or fourth down late in that game against Oklahoma. It, it's just it feels Carson like everything is so hard offensively it starts up front it starts with the running game you can't block you can't run the ball it's going to put more pressure on every part of your offense but Carson I watched a lot of football and Oklahoma State's offense uh especially whenever Spencer isn't being Superman you know second half of that Texas game he takes over makes every throw he's, he's doing it with his legs same thing against OU and Notre Dame last year if it's not Superman from Spencer it's a whole lot of what we saw the last two weeks and uh, that's just not good enough. It, it's Gundy's job to fix it. And, you know, three more weeks, a bowl game, uh, and then he's going to have to decide whether he believes the guy's in place or the guy's to make it happen. That's that's certainly not my decision to make. He gets paid a lot of money to make that decision. Uh, but whether it's with this current staff or, or a different one, um, Oklahoma State offensively has to be better and, and has to be more creative uh, and make life tougher on opposing defenses because we've seen this too many times now, Carson, where they get off to a hot start and then as the season goes, you know, one, two, three injuries. This year it's about nine injuries, but usually it's about one, two, three injuries, kind of derail it. It all comes undone and they just can't make it work anymore. Uh, and I'm sorry, every program in the country deals with injuries. You've got to be able to adjust and your scheme, uh, what you're doing as coaches has to be good enough to overcome that stuff. So, uh, yeah, don't want to ter- totally go fire sale in Stillwater after two bad games, and, and that's what Gundy's saying today. He's like, everybody relax, everything's fine, but, uh, man, you got outscored, what, 85 to 16 the last two weeks it doesn't feel it doesn't feel very fine Carson um and and that that offense has to be better because uh I think Spencer plays again this season but I I think he's heading to the NFL whether it's drafted or undrafted to try to to earn his spot on a roster uh and at that point you better have some things figured out offensively yeah and that's that's kind of where I'm at like Mike just telling everyone to relax nothing's out of control or spiraling or whatever verbiage he used. And that's kind of what we have signed up for Colby. Uh, Mike's a made man. He's going to make his salary. He's going to hire who he wants to hire and do his thing. And we live with the results and let's face it. We've, we've loved the results uh, since he's been the head coach at Oklahoma state. So it's you and I can get sit here and say, you know, fire Casey Dunn, fire, fire Charlie Dickey. Like Mike's not going to succumb to any of that type of, talk or pressure although he did he maybe succumbed to some nepotism pressure who, who knows real but quick it, it kind of it's we just kind of have to live with it right yeah before we turn the page to defense i, I do want to say um you know mike gundy has some decisions to make but we talked about this saturday mike gundy has hired some seriously high level successful coordinators in his time at Oklahoma State. You've got one of your former offensive coordinators, the head coach down in Houston right now. You've got another former offensive coordinator calling plays at Georgia. Another former OC calling plays at Penn State. Your DC last year gets hired away to Ohio State. So it's Mike Gundy has hired some seriously high-level coordinators. There have been some good guys in those places. It's hard to keep them in Stillwater. And I think that Mike Gundy, through fear of losing those guys and you know, you've lost your last one even after you went and got him from Shippensburg. You went to Ohio State for a year where he was the passing game coordinator, went to Texas, now he's at Penn State. But Casey Dunn, you were going to lose if you didn't promote him. You promoted him. Um, I'm not saying it can't work. I'm just saying to this point, uh, I think it's been very inconsistent and underwhelming. So I don't know what the future of the offense is uh, because it is hard, Carson, in a place like Oklahoma State 
If you get a really good coordinator, they're, they're gone. But I would rather cycle through elite coordinators every two years on both sides of the ball than have a guy for six years who does a good, not great job. Absolutely. And I think I'm the one that brought that up. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Oklahoma State's viewed nationally as if they're, you know, Boise State, you know, this little engine that could and yeah, you're real cute, but you're not one of the big boys when the rest of the country and the Blue Bloods recognize, oh, that's where some of the best coaches in the country are. And that's a credit to Mike Gundy. You, you mentioned all the guys that have been hired away. Go back to Larry Fedora. Another guy got hired away as a head coach. He, Mike Gundy made the joke. He was going to start the website, HireCoachGundy'sCoaches.com. It became so prevalent. That's why he went and got Mike Yursich from seemingly nowhere because he knew he could groom him. And I, and I look, I thought that was a mistake at first. Go Just go hire the best guy. I'm, I'm totally with you, Colby. It reminds me so much of the, the Tulsa basketball job. They kept hiring great coaches, you know, Nolan Richardson, Bill Self. They got tired of all these coaches leaving, so they started hiring coaches they thought would stay, and now they're not any good. You don't worry about retention. You worry about the guy who will do the best job. They were worried about retention when they hired Casey Dunn to be the OC. And look, I didn't want him to leave either, but he was already gone. He went to UNLV. He was upset he got passed over again. And... While he certainly adds to the receiver room, they have dudes all over the field at receiver that they don't want to throw the football to. Don't get me started on that. That was my next point. But I'm with you, Colby. Just go hire the best guy. Clearly, Mike's done a great job doing that, and it's a credit to him. But I think real questions need to be asked because the point I wanted to make about the offense is what did I say pregame, Colby? Let, let's see some let's see some pre-snap movements, some pre-snap motion. What do they do, Colby? They get up there and, you know, 12 personnel, sometimes 13, stand there, snap the ball, either hand it off or throw it. There's no play action. There's no deception. There's no motion to get guys out of position. There's just nothing. And this is something we've seen with Casey Dunn. When times get bad, and look, if he wants to come out later and say this was Mike in his ear, fine. I'd love to listen. But you're the offensive coordinator. And when times get tough, Colby, they get even they they regress the the turtle succumbs back into its shell even further. There's no let's snap out of this and fight. It's we're gonna go deeper and deeper into this shell and be more predictable to where Colby Powell is calling every single third down call. You think you think Lance Leopold knows what's coming? If Colby and I can tell what's coming, absolutely. So Colby, that that's where I am with the offense before we move to defense. Yeah, I think we're pretty much in the same place. It has to be better. I was watching the game uh, last night between Tennessee and Kansas City. And Kansas City, I mean, my God, it's like this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. It's all pre-snap. So much is going on pre-snap. Defense having a point, move. It's just more, more of that. And and it's it's like they'll do all that, and then they'll just sneak Travis Kelsey under center and have him QB sneak it from the one-yard line. Something silly like that. <laughs> they'll, they'll just give it to Mahomes and have him do a quick screen. It's just something to make the defense's life hard, Carson. And I just, I don't feel like this offense does enough to make the defense. And that's Patrick Mahomes with Travis Kelsey. This is not (laughs) Garrett Rangel throwing to Stephon Johnson. Like Kansas City, you would think, wouldn't have to do all that stuff, and they're doing it because they're the best offense in the league. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Perspective there. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I just, uh, just to finish my thought, I don't think this offense is doing enough 
to confuse the defense, to make them worry about multiple things, uh, and just to make their lives hard. I, I think that they're making the defense's life pretty easy, and boy, that's that's not a raving review, is it? No, it's – and again, we, we've seen this. This is not anything new. When times are tough, they'd go into the turtle shell, and that ultimately is going to fall on Casey Dunn and, and Mike Gundy. I mean, we've had this conversation about who calls the plays for years and years, and we're never going to know totally, but ultimately the results fall on, on Mike Gundy and, and the guy he hired to be the OC. All right, Colby, let's get to the defense. Um, do we, do we I mean, have to? and look – I'm here. I understand there are injuries. There's not a boatload on defense. Brennan Evers was a good player. He is not in Dominican Sioux. Okay. And what I saw, Colby, was a defense that not only has regressed to the point I'm thinking of back to when I was in college in 2005, where they literally posed no resistance whatsoever. To me, Colby, it looked like a defense that flat out quit flat out quit on their team quit on their head coach quit on all the people that were wearing orange in the stands and quit on all the people watching on tv they flat out quit there was no effort to make tackles they would just frankly give up mike said they missed more tackles than they actually made that's an effort thing that's not a technique thing colin oliver had an embarrassing attempt at a tackle on on jason bean that you and i saw and that, to me, Colby, it, it's amazing how I was sticking up for this defense not just two weeks ago that, you know, look, they gave up some big plays in the passing game, but, man, they're stout against the run. Man, they can harass the quarterback. And you know what? Maybe that's on Derek Mason not being aggressive. Uh, Rashawn Woods, I think, does an amazing job on, on the sports animal. He's really come into his own. I think it would serve a lot of OSU fans to listen to him after games. He really was hammering home the point that Derek Mason just flat out isn't nearly as aggressive as Jim Knowles. Uh, Jim Knowles brought the heat and Derek Mason sitting back. Well, and what, and what's sitting back getting them Colby, this looked like 95 Nebraska against 95 Oklahoma state and it's freaking Kansas. And I don't want to hear about injuries because you had Jason Taylor out there. You had your starting linebackers out there. Tyler Lacey went out for a little bit, but he's back in. Sure. You lose trace Ford. injuries are going to happen to pose no resistance and make that Neil kid look like Barry Sanders is one of the most embarrassing performances in a big spot from what I thought was a good team that I can ever remember. Yeah, it was it was absolutely brutal in every way you just said from the defense. 32 carries for 224 yards for Neil. Bean had 93 on the ground on four attempts. Of course, that was highlighted by the 73-yarder that was just brutal from Oklahoma State at a time in the game where, like I said, you've just scored for the first time in 83 minutes. It feels like maybe you can start to get a little momentum. If you can just get one stop and then two plays into the drive, he houses it. The running back, six catches for 110 yards for Devin Neal. I mean, these are just screens that they're getting to him. And Carson, we clearly, clearly underestimated the impact the losing all the guys that they lost was going to have. You texted me Saturday night about Jarrett Bernard Converse getting all the love in the LSU-Alabama game. I've seen Tanner McAllister being graded out, you, you know, week in, week out as one of the best safeties in the country. Uh, he, he's going to – both of those guys are going to get drafted. Uh, and those are just the transfers. Those are just the transfers, not even the guys uh, who, who moved on to the NFL. It's, it's a tough spot for Derek Mason to come in on the heels of the greatest defense in school history. 
and it's a tough spot for some of these young guys. Uh, you know, Malcolm Cobb, uh, Malcolm Cobb, Mason Cobb, not, not Malcolm Cobb. He might have looked like Malcolm Cobb in, in Waco, but he didn't look like <laughs> Malcolm Cobb in Lawrence on Saturday. So Mason Cobb, Xavier Benson having to step into the, the shoes of Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper. Christian Holmes on the outside. And, and I did think that Mike Gundy said one thing that was just a little bit illuminating and kind of, uh, you know, light bulb came on for me in his press conference today. He was asked about the pass rush. Carson, it's like, why isn't the pass rush getting home? As far as I can see, Trace Ford still has been playing. Colin Oliver still been out there. Ben Kapinski, who at one point I saw in coverage on Saturday, which was interesting, has, has still been out there. Tyler Lacey, <laughs> until he got hurt on Saturday, had still been out there. Where's the pass rush? And Mike Gundy was like, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. He's like, you know, the guys on the back end last year holding up a little bit better. That quarterback holds onto the ball for an extra second. Boom. You get a whole bunch more sacks. Guys aren't holding up on the back end. Back end's been rough, and you've had injuries back there, too. You've had injuries back there, too. Jason Taylor and Brock Martin, both those guys, every time they make a tackle, it feels like they lay on the ground for an extra second before they get up. And as they get up, it just it, – it's like, you know, whenever your your dad turns 50 and he starts to make that noise getting out of his chair. To, <laughs> I mean, every time Jason Taylor and Brock Martin are pulling themselves up, that's what it looks like because those guys are physically beaten down uh, from being the do-everything guys on this defense. And – Carson, I clearly did, uh, and, and I think you, me, everybody else underestimated the impact of losing those guys on the defense because we thought the defensive line would be able to make up for it. The defensive line has not been able to make up for it, and there is a bunch of young uh, and inexperienced players on that defense right now that are struggling as other teams have figured out how to pick on them and how to expose them as injuries have come through uh, like they do every year. This defense has not adjusted well, and they have been absolutely exposed the last two weeks uh, by Kansas State and Kansas, who are okay offenses, but they're, they're really, for the most part, big picture Average offenses in the Big 12 Conference, uh, and Oklahoma State's been annihilated by both. So it's a huge indictment of the defense. Uh, but again, I, I think that they're in a tough spot. Last year was incredible. We all had really high standards, probably too high of a standard considering what you lost coach and player-wise. And it, it seemed like it was okay and you were getting away with it until these last two Saturdays, Carson. And now it's, it's red flags uh, at almost every position group on that side of the ball. Yeah, I did text you, and it, it certainly was illuminating watching Jared Bernard Converse look like one of the best defensive backs in the country. I mean, Herb Street and Fowler, by the end of that game, that's all they were talking about was how good Converse was in, in coverage, and really he, he played amazing. McAllister's up there in the interceptions for safeties in the, in the United States, playing for Jim Knowles, his former coordinator. And look, I, I certainly understand those guys combined with Malcolm Rodriguez and all the guys we know and we talk about that they lost last year. But Colby, how do you explain basically shutting out Texas Tech and Texas in the second halves, playing lights out? I mean, I mean lights out against TCU in the first half. Played as well as you can play against Max Dugan in that first half. And Gundy screwed it up on offense and got conservative. We all remember that. How do you explain those performances? Because I'm sure people that have followed my tweets this year and are watching what we're watching now and not paying attention, or even if they are paying attention, it's it's hard to explain, Colby, where they were defensively and the praise we were giving them, and I feel rightfully so. Again, they were lights out in those halves against really good offenses. To watching this team, <laughs> that, that was as bad as it's ever been 
against, again, not only is it Kansas, it's Kansas' backup quarterback who, yeah, he's had some nice games as the backup quarterback. He looked like Vince freaking Young breaking tackles, running 75 yards on your ass. Like, how do you explain that, Cole? Because we can sit here and talk about the losses they had in the transfer portal and the draft. They put out some really good performances this year, and now they're just they're just done. They're just they're not any good at all anymore. Because most of the injuries on the offensive side, Colby. I'm not I'm not here for the injury excuse. I am. What I am here for is where the hell is this defense going under Derek Mason? Because it is regressing by the second, giving up what 85 points over the past two weeks against the the Sunflower State. It's it's jarring. And it's 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 alarm bells and all the red flags, Colby. Yeah, everything you just said, Carson. I can't explain how they shut out Texas Tech and Texas in the second half, uh, field goals, and then what about these performances the last two weeks? I can't explain it. Injuries, part of it, sure, part of it, but that's not all of it. I, I mean, you're not going to tell me because a few guys have gone down that you give up 48 to K State and 37 to Kansas and. It felt like it would have been more against Kansas. It felt like they were fortunate to get out of there, only giving up 30-17 the way Kansas was just running the ball uh, as if no one was on the other side, as if they were playing against air. Carson, I can't explain it. I can't explain what happened to this defense. Um, I I can't really explain what's happened to this team. I mean, (laughs) injuries are a valid excuse, but I don't know that they're a valid excuse for 85-16. The last two weeks, I, I don't know that you can explain away 85 to 16 by injuries. Uh, feels like more, but I, I can't exactly put my finger on it. I don't think anybody really can. And Carson, I, I want to be more surprised. I, I'm not that surprised at how it played out in Lawrence on Saturday. You'll remember I picked it 37 to 17 and nope. I watched, I watched exactly what I predicted play out. And I'm still sitting here scratching my head thinking how I, 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 I called it and it happened. And now I'm sitting here on Monday and I'm thinking, how did they let that happen? I I can't explain it. Carson, Oklahoma State had more first downs in that game. Weirdly, I guess, because Kansas had the big plays. Uh, Oklahoma State was 5 of 11 on third down. That's really good. Uh, but you get outgained by about 150 yards in that game and 351 to 111 on the ground. I, I mean, you get outrushed by 240 yards you're just never going to win a football game in which you're outrushed by 240 yards. Couple that with the fact that you lost the turnover battle four to zero. Carson, it's a miracle they only lost by three touchdowns. It really is. And I thought you were pretty on the money throughout. But when you said that, why would Kansas ever even attempt to pass with the way they're running it? And that that never changed throughout the rest of the game. Uh, yeah, so... Terrible performance. Let's get to bullets and BBs, Colby. Plenty of uh, BBs to go around, but do you have a bullet for me? Uh, No, I'm good. You go ahead. I will give a bullet to one. I got two bullets, actually, and I really had to I really had to search, Colby. I really did. Uh, Just you and I just we were just laughing at the misfortune that OSU was having the entire game. Tanner Brown steps up, just drills another field goal. We're raving about what a good kicker he is. Uh, they threw a flag. Like, what? What was the call again, Colby? Remind me. What was the call? Is another substitution rule? Like, they didn't give Kansas enough time to sub. What was it? The defense 
was not given the opportunity to substitute. So Kansas had 12 on the field when the field goal was made, but because they determined Kansas was not given the opportunity to substitute, Tanner Brown then had to re-kick the field goal. <laughs> and fortunately, he's a good kicker, and he drilled it again. But just the the idea that the defense has 12 on the field, but it's because of a ref screw-up, so then the offense gets penalized and three points come off the board. It was a very weird scenario that felt felt pretty squinky. I'm surprised Mike, you know, Mike's got a great head of hair. I mean, it's a it's a tremendous mane of hair that he has. I'm surprised he hasn't ripped all of it out with these substitution rules going against Oklahoma State. They got penalized against TCU because Sonny Dykes. Uh, this happens. I just, but credit, man, credit Tanner Brown. Like, the dude's nails. And again, I... I'm getting very strong Dan Bailey vibes. I mean, you keep kicking that consistently and uh, that accurately, uh, you're going to get a chance to play in the NFL. I, I thought he was great. Uh, my other bullet before we get to all Colby's BBs, can we put Sione Asi at center if Preston Wilson goes down? Can we put him at left guard, right guard? He had a good play there toward the end of the game on a, on the fourth down stop near the goal line or third down stop, whatever it was, uh, behind the play. He's big. He's agile. Uh, I need I need more Sione. I see he was a one of the very 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 few bright spots on defense. I'm not sure how he is with the ball in his hands, but I'm getting James Castleman vibes from Sione. I see, and if he's gonna be James Castleman, I really hope he's James Castleman in two weeks in Norman and not in eight weeks in wherever Tempe. I, I really hope uh, that it comes sooner than that. Memphis, wherever they wind up in uh, in in a couple of months. Uh, BBs Carson, I, I will start. We've talked about it. Uh, I, I think that the offensive staff has to get a BB uh, and by extension, the head coach, the quarterback situation was weird. Um, you know, we haven't gotten a good explanation and we won't get a good explanation for why your backup quarterback immediately becomes your third string quarterback as soon as it's time for him to take the field. But beyond that, Carson, it was, um, it, it's just been a season of and I know it feels this way right now because we're bogged down in the in the consecutive losses, but everything looks way too hard. There are too many offenses. The game's designed for offense. The rules are designed for offense. Hell, as much as we want to malign the reputation of the conference, the conference for the most part has been designed for offense. Everything is hard. Every first down, I, I mean, a holding penalty on the first down, and now you need 20 yards? My God, we've got to get 20? I mean, it's either super, it, it's it's either Spencer is Superman, or the offense doesn't function. And just, again, Carson, the game's designed for offense. It shouldn't look that hard. Um, so the the offensive staff, Mike Gundy, the quarterback situation, the the play calling, just the predictability, the the vanilla of it, uh, the offensive staff gets a big BB for me. And other than Oklahoma, Colby, I mean, the quarterback injuries this year have been crazy in the Big 12. But other than Oklahoma, hasn't every other offense just pretty much now, they may not have been as good, but they weren't completely inept. Um, At times, backup quarterbacks have hummed in this conference, namely Max Duggan, namely Will Howard against Oklahoma State, Jason Bean against Oklahoma State, Baron Morton against Oklahoma State. Carson, I'm saying it out loud and I'm sensing a theme. Well, when you put it like that, I'll I'll move on. Uh, no, but I, I agree with you. I, 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 I'm going to give a BB the offensive staff again. I, I mentioned it earlier, the lack of creativity. And one thing that really stood out to me is, you know, you mentioned Brennan Presley. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? 
Every time he got the ball, what do you do, Colby? Made wait, what two, three guys missed, made a great play to get to the pylon almost every time. Just consistently has to grade out as one of the best players on the team when given a chance. He's given very little chances. And John Paul Richardson, the dude is an absolute baller. He catches everything. There was a pass Rangel threw. It looked like it was going to go in the first row. He not only caught it, he got two feet in. I don't know. I still don't know how he did it. The dude is awesome. And he barely gets the ball. It's just there's no scheme to get your best players the football. There's no deception. It's it's as bad as you can prepare a team in possible. It's just it's it's so bad. And again, this is Oklahoma State here. Casey Dunn, we all love him. He recruits a lot of good receivers, but this ain't it. And maybe this is Mike's over oversight. We'll never know. But it ultimately falls on Mike. It, the offense gets a a cannonball sized BB. And I, I think I'll I'll go next, Colby. Just Derek Mason. Uh, we don't know where this defense is going, but right now it, it appears to be the Titanic because he inherited a great defense and look, no one was expecting similar results to last year for all the reasons we've mentioned with transfers and NFL guys, but to look this bad, this discombobulated and frankly, this disinterested reflects on the DC. And that is not a good reflection in year one for Derek Mason. Uh, he's got a lot of experience. Uh, he's very well respected, but Colby, his grade is trending towards F in his first season. And that was a capital F with three exclamation points against Kansas. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And uh, again, you, you want to have patience with a guy in his first year, but man, you, you, it felt like you had a chance to win a conference title this year and it's all come undone. It's hard to have patience in modern college football with so much on the line weekend and week out. And yes, what concerns me, Carson is the defense has gotten much, much worse as the season has gone along, uh, and, and don't bring up the fourth quarter against Central Michigan. I don't care about garbage timing in Central Michigan. This defense in Waco looked fine. I mean, they, they again, didn't look like Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper, but it looked fine. I, I didn't have concerns about the defense leaving Waco. Carson, 10 days ago, 10 days ago, this was the program with the culture who, get it, who got the stop when you needed the stop. 10 days ago. It all changed so fast. I mean, you have the couple good halves against Texas Tech uh, and Texas in the second half. Other than that, it's been pretty atrocious uh, from the defense. So, uh, yeah, how do I not give a BB to to the guys on that side of the ball? Coaches and players, it, it just hasn't worked for whatever reason. The pass rush isn't there. Guys aren't holding up on the back end. It just has not worked. I understand that there have been some injuries, uh, but you've got to make it work. And I, I think what really – just now, Carson, whenever I was listing off the backup quarterbacks in the Big 12 and these high-level performances that they've had across the conference, and as I'm rattling them off, they're all against Oklahoma State. I think it was just now at that moment when I I, I made the light bulb come on for myself. Oh, man, maybe it's not the fact that all the backup QBs are in this conference are great. Maybe it's the fact that they all keep getting to play against Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State's getting torched on that side of the ball. So, uh, yeah, defensive staff, uh, defensive players, it, it just it hasn't been good enough. It's it's harsh. It, it's reality. It has not been good enough. Uh, I hope it's better the last three games of the season, Carson, because 
There is still meaningful football to be played. Uh, and I know somebody out there is going to say, oh, bowl games don't mean anything. You can't win the conference championship. Guess Bedlam means something, but what else? Carson, we live in the portal era. You better give these kids a reason to stick around. You better do something. Show them something. Show, to, give Ollie Gordon a reason to think that Oklahoma State is the school that can maximize his talent and get him to the NFL. You've got to show Ollie Gordon that you're the school who can do that. Stephon Johnson, that kid's talented. You better give him a reason to think, yes, I need to spend three or four more years in Stillwater to hone my craft to get to the NFL. These games mean something. And, boy, coming off these losses the last two weeks, it feels dire, but the season's not lost. I know know you're probably not winning a conference championship at this point. This team, if Spencer comes back, could still win out. Uh, Whether he does or doesn't come back, they could still lose out. I think the last three games are a total unknown for Oklahoma State. Uh, But something needs to happen these last three games, Carson, because I I do not accept that this is meaningful football. uh, Pardon me, meaningless football that will be played the rest of the, the, the way. These games mean something, and Oklahoma State has to make drastic improvements quickly. That's the good stuff. That might be my favorite thing you've said on this podcast i think that's a tremendous point uh you laid it out very well you and i were talking about ollie gordon like why why would he want to stick around and play behind this offensive line when he he literally came get on the field with an inept running game so now i i think you made a amazing point there about what's left to play for because you're right this day and age you gotta you gotta re-recruit the guys that are on your team uh case in point with bernard, bernard converse and and certainly coaching changes that factored into those two guys but uh that's very well said uh one more thing one more BB before we get to the uniform review and and talk a little bit about the point spread for Iowa State. Uh, BB for Cowboy culture because again, it's fun to talk about when you're winning and we don't need to get five stars and all this and that. When you watch your defense quit against Kansas, and look, Colby, you're right. The injuries were insane. That that first quarter, I looked at my watch and said, guys, it's been an hour in the first quarter. Still, There's 16 seconds left in the first quarter. Guys were dropping like flies. They had their bye week early this year. It, it's been a – they got a bad draw. We, we can all say that and admit that. But the effort that I saw against Kansas looked like a team that quit. And so I don't want to hear about cowboy culture. I want to see guys punch dudes in the mouth when you – even if you know you got a true freshman on the other side playing quarterback for you, go win the game as a defense. They did that plenty last year. And I, I thought Cowboy culture deserves a, a BB because it's a great talking point, but when the chips were down and you needed it, 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 it flat out was embarrassing, the effort that we saw, particularly on defense. And it, it looked like they pretty much gave up at times in that game. Uh, let's get to the Christmas University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Christmas University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at ChrisUniversitySpirit.com. Colby, isn't it amazing? Uh, this was only the second time since they got the new uniforms that they wore white, white, orange, which we all know used to be the traditional you know, road look before they revamped the uniforms in 2011. Just the second time. The other time was 2019 on the road at Tulsa. But look good, Colby, and they – hey. You, you almost got the score exactly right. You also kind of got the line of thinking on the uh, uniforms. Nothing flashy, right? Yeah, nothing flashy. Not when you just got beat 48 to nothing. I expect something similar uh, this Saturday. You just keep it simple and go out and play football. Focus on the the, the fundamentals. Um, yeah, I mean, the uniforms looked good. White, white, orange, they always look good. It, it was simple, though. It's not my favorite combo. I don't think it's anybody's favorite combo, but Saturday wasn't about the uniform. Saturday was trying to get back on track. And I think that's what this Saturday is about, too. So, uh, yeah, they looked good. They always look good. 
but I, I think you wear uh, something simple again this Saturday, and hopefully you beat Iowa State. You get feeling good about yourselves, uh, and then you break out something a little sharp for Bedlam. That's If I were to script it, that's how I hope things work out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And so, yeah, so did OSU open up as an underdog at home against a team in Iowa State that we kind of thought earlier this year they were the worst in the league? Is Are my eyes deceiving me, or is OSU an underdog? <laughs> uh, I am Googling right now one-and-a-half-point underdog at home to the vaunting, uh, vaunted Iowa State Cyclones. Yep, and look, Iowa State's had a ton of close losses. Uh, they have probably the best defense uh, in the Big 12. But, man, Colby, it really kind of really kind of smacks you with reality when you see how far things have really fallen when OSU's at home playing against you know one of the worst teams in the league and they're an underdog at home against Iowa State which again some of that has to do with the uncertainty or most of it has to do with the uncertainty around Spencer Sanders but maybe not most Colby maybe with the way the defense is played that that's a straight up line that Vegas thinks is is right regardless who plays quarterback with how bad their defense has been yeah no doubt I mean Oklahoma State's gonna have to change some things whether Spencer comes back or not I mean Spencer coming back would be great but that's not a magic elixir Uh, I mean, Spencer played two weeks ago in Manhattan. I know that he wasn't right physically for most of that game uh, before and after the, the, the worst injury that knocked him out uh, against Kansas, but whether he plays or not, he ain't playing D tackle. He ain't playing linebacker or safety. Uh, So yeah, there's still big problems for Oklahoma state. Now I think that Iowa state is less equipped offensively to exploit some of the things that Oklahoma state is struggling with right now. Uh, But I don't think they're inept. So uh, yeah, to, to say I'm concerned would be an understatement. It, it is hard to relax and, and think that everything's fine coming off 85 to 16. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned for what could happen Saturday in Stillwater. You and me both. It's a blackout. I assume they'll wear all black, and uh, let's hope it's not a funeral for the rest of the season because there is a lot of football to be played, like you mentioned. Uh, anything else stand out to you uh, nationally? The LSU game was tremendous, tremendous finish. The cojones on Brian Kelly to go for two I thought was great. And did you see he ran the same play? Uh, that he ran when he was the coach in Notre Dame against Florida State down there on the goal line in overtime. It's very, very much a pick play type situation. It's a great call because it's it's really hard to defend. Uh, those plays are always great, and I don't know why coaches don't go to them more. It's, yes, you have to do it right, but as long as you do it right and, and you're not just running through guys, it is so hard to defend. Uh, so I love that play, and I, I don't see why more coaches don't use it all the time and, and teach it in a way where you're not going to get penalized because if you can – if you can perfect that play uh, without penalties, boy, you can really exploit some defenses with it. Did you happen to see that Illinois lost to Michigan State? Three, they were three and five coming into this game. Vaunted Illinois, the the great hope of the Big Ten West, getting all this national love. Oh my gosh, Illinois! They the rise of Brett Bielema. They lose to one of the most hapless teams in the entire country on their home field to Michigan State. The Big Ten is an absolute joke. It stinks. Michigan got to rest starters and beat up on Big Bad Rutgers. It's a joke this conference has even discussed, frankly, other than Ohio State, who's good but probably a little overrated. 
Probably a little bit. Their game against Northwestern was played in some of the worst wins I've ever seen in college football. Uh, C.J. Stroud is going to be the number one overall pick, and he was 10 of 26. So I'm just going to kind of throw that one out for them. But uh, Michigan, I, I don't know if they're any good. They have played one of the absolute worst schedules in the country. They did beat Penn State, but we kind of don't really know if Penn State's any good. Uh, there's a whole lot of we don't know if any of these teams are any good because in, in I'll, I'll say the SEC, in the Big 12, you have week in, week out, you're at least playing good teams. Like Baylor, Baylor's a good team. They're not a world beater. They're not going to win a, a New Year's Six Bowl this year, but they're a good football team. There are only a handful of those in the Big Ten. So week in and week out, Big Ten schools are playing what would be the equivalent of a week non-conference game for other programs. I, I mean, Northwestern, if Northwestern and Oklahoma State played in the non-con, Oklahoma State's probably a, a 21 and a half point favorite uh, and they beat them, I don't know, 47 to, to 10 or something like that. Uh, th- these are conference games. Week in, week out in the Big Ten. How do I evaluate the quote-unquote good teams in that conference? To me, trying to evaluate Ohio State and Michigan right now, and I'm about to really insult the Big Ten. Trying to evaluate Ohio State and Michigan right now is, to me, no different than trying to evaluate Gonzaga basketball every year. Are they any good? Don't know. Let's figure it out in the postseason when they start playing against real opponents. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Our friends, Gonzaga, who might be joining our great conference. Close personal friends, Gonzaga. <laughs> uh, one last note. How bad would Texas beat Oklahoma State right now if they played this week? Oh, if they ran it back? Yeah. Oh, I don't I, I don't want to even think about it. I, I don't even like that you brought it up. I really don't want to think about it. Man, they I know they gave up another lead and, and were able to hang on against K-State, but they're humming. I mean, they're they're really running the football. I mean, Bijan Robinson and and Roshan Johnson, man, they're Texas looks really good, and uh, they're not out of the Big Twelve race at all. They might they might they look pretty strong, and they're they're favored pretty big against TCU, I believe. I haven't looked at the lines lately, but I believe they're favored against undefeated TCU. That's how well they're playing right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, TCU looks vulnerable still at times. <laughs> Boy, they don't feel like a 13-0 football team. But, yes, Texas is better than they've been in years past. They physically pushed Kansas State around for a while. Uh, You and I discussed it Saturday. Thought, I mean, look, if Adrian Martinez is your guy, Adrian Martinez is your guy, it would have been real tough for me to sit a guy coming off the performance that Will Howard had against Oklahoma State on the bench. Uh, And, then of course, it doesn't work, so you're able to point to the fact that it doesn't work. But, um, yeah, uh, I mean, Texas looked really good. Uh, The Big 12 cannibalizing itself everywhere except at the top. TCU keeps sneaking by everywhere else, Carson. This conference is a bloodbath. It really is, and I don't want any part of Texas winning it. So go on, TCU. Go on, Horned Frogs. Go on and win the league. Dude, and, and get some get some Big Twelve respect, Colby. That's that's what we need. But I I'm very dubious that they can either win, let alone win Saturday, but let alone win out. I, I just you're right. It's the league's too tough, and and certainly. Did I the, uh, did I just make a fool out of myself? Is Giggum Texas A and M or does uh, TCU do that too? I know Giggum they throw, frogs. They throw their little goofy frogs up with their hands with their two knuckles, which I'm I'm here for because like you Luce said, I don't want Texas to win the conference, but. I I, can't, I don't know if they actually say gigum. So somebody tweet me. Does T, do T, do TCU fans say gigum? Uh, gigging is the practice of hunting fish or small game with a gig, such as frogs. Yeah, frog gigum frog. Now nah, all I'm getting is Texas A&M crap. So Carson, I'm about to sound real chickasha. You ever been frog gigging? No, but I have been noodling. 
for a guy from Edmond, that sounds crazy that I have, but uh, yes, I have been noodling. I haven't been gigging. I didn't even know that was a thing. Okay, I have not been noodling. That was uh, I had some buddies in high school who would noodle. They always wanted me to go. Uh, I told them it was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If you're listening and you noodle, power be to you. I have no interest in sticking my hand in those holes. Uh, but I have been frogging a couple times. Of course, we went out and we were 16 and idiots and never saw anything. Didn't get any frogs. Uh, but I've I've had the experience of the late night, probably midnight, going out trying to trying to. <laughs> Small town Oklahoma living. That sounds very, very Chickasha. And and for the record, never once did I stick my hand in the hole. I just kind of went and hung out with them while the, my crazy friends would do it. I, I'd offer to like hold the stringer or whatever it's called, and I, I'm good. I'll I'll just drink beer on the coast while y'all stick your hands in beaver holes or wherever the hell they they were at. Yeah, I had a buddy I played uh, little league baseball with, and when we were in high school, his name was Dayton, and he was a big noodler, and he was showing me some pictures sometimes. He uh, might have even gotten in the paper once because he would pull some massive catfish out of these holes. And he would he was always inviting me to go. And I'm like, dude, I'm I'm way out, way out on on sticking my hand in that hole. So, um, yeah, that that's about what this football season is starting to feel like, Carson. Like Oklahoma State has been gradually sticking their hand in the noodling hole and there's a beaver in there instead of a catfish. Yeah, that's certainly what the state of Kansas has felt like the last two weeks. So, uh, Colby. Uh, good to be with you, and we'll uh, we'll get back uh, later in the week to preview what is turning out to be a roller coaster of a season for Oklahoma State. Hopefully, we'll have some more news on who may or may not be in for the Cowboys. But it seems like every Saturday we're waiting on Dave Hunziker's report because it's so tight-lipped up there. But in the meantime, Colby, let's uh, let's uh, lick our wounds from the state of Kansas. Hopefully, OSU gets right uh, for Iowa State and leading into a, a massive bedlam. Good, good, good catching up with you. It was great. And again, thank thank your mom and dad for having me over. I, I really had a great time uh, watching football with you. We didn't have much to watch in terms of Oklahoma State, but they were great hosts, and and I appreciate them uh, welcoming welcoming me in. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, welcome anytime, and uh, enjoyed it. I know that nobody likes these doom and gloom shows. We we don't like having to do them. Uh, the last thing we want to be doing is calling for people's jobs and uh, talking about quarterback decisions and, and hustle and effort and all that stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, loyal and true, always we are. I know our listeners are. And hopefully things go better Saturday at Blitz Picking Stadium. We're back later in the week to preview Oklahoma State and Iowa State. No matter how bad it gets, it is always go Pokes.